Tonight, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And this is, a, a, for me, I got to be honest, it's a tough book to teach because it was written by a man who was half-hearted. Think about that. You know, um, we're going to study on Sunday, Lord willing, about the double-minded man, uh, unstable in all his ways. And in, in one sense, even though we know it was uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit allowed him to write everything that he wrote, you'll see it was from a man who kind of had backslid, a man who is confused, a, a man who we talk about this many times. David had a whole heart for God. Saul had no heart for God. Solomon had half a heart for God. And so you're going to see as you go through some of those things, so as you read it, you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then other things, you're like scratching your head. And it's kind of cool, though, because what it does is it allows us as a church to think about maybe topics or just to kind of even ponder, well, these are what, this is some of the questions that some of the people out there have. And so we can talk about it. And Lord willing, what I was thinking about tonight is, okay, when we approach it, uh, my prayer is that if there's anyone here who's half-hearted, who's lukewarm, who's casual in their Christianity, who has one foot in the church and one foot in the world, it's the most miserable place you could be. It's the most frustrating place you can be. And, and if that's you, you know, you're just kind of cruising through that God will use our study today to bring us to this place where we need to be. I mean, Jesus was nailed to a cross for us. He shed his blood, he suffered, he died, he saved you when you were dead in your sins. How can we not live for the Lord with an absolute reckless abandon? There should be no portion of our heart that does not belong to God. And so I pray that coming from a man who's half-hearted, God will use it in our lives to make us wholehearted. And so look what we read in Ecclesiastes 9 in verse 1. He says, for, for I considered all this in my heart so that I could declare it all. And so we know Solomon is a preacher and Ecclesiastes is the, is the message. Ecclesia is the church. It's in reference to an assembly. And so he says, I was considering all these things in my heart so that I can share it uh, with you. It's almost as if Solomon is saying, I studied before I spoke. There was an investigation going on before the declaration. And so, question though is, what did he study? What did he investigate? Look again at verse one. For I considered all this in my heart so that I could declare it all. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that he limited his information to what was within himself, but what we kind of find in the book of Ecclesiastes was it was a bit too close to his own uh, perspective, his own heart. It was too much of that and not enough of, Lord, let me just hear your word. You're, you're going to see that as you go through uh, life. Be careful that you don't limit it to what your perspective or what just in your heart. When we're talking about declaration, especially a preacher, the consideration must be the word. The word of God. And so here's Solomon, and he's sharing. And look what he shares uh, in verse 1, that the, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and then the Hebrew text says the bad, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the, is, is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath is he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. And you might want to underline those words under the sun when you're in the book of Ecclesiastes because that's important, that that one thing happens to all. Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. And so he begins with a good point here. Again, in verse 1, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. Now, that's a cool truth, huh? You, righteous, 
are in the hands of Jesus. That's what he said. And no one snatches us out of his hands. Now, that's a, a, a beautiful statement. Your works are in the hands of God. He actually starts off really nice, but then he goes south really fast. He says there in verse 1 that people know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. You know, basically what he's saying right there is he says, when I look out into the world, it's hard to tell if it's love or hate that makes this world go round. He says, because I'm seeing things, and man, it just doesn't seem fair to his, in his limited perspective, and his carnal perspective, unfortunately, it doesn't seem just. He says, it doesn't matter if you're good or bad, if you're righteous or wicked, if you're clean or unclean, if you're someone who sacrifices and you go to church and you offer your tithings or whatever, and someone who doesn't sacrifice. It, it doesn't matter if you're a, a, a winner or a sinner, someone who takes an oath and keeps that oath, or someone who doesn't even bother taking an oath. And, and so Solomon here, he, he sees the evil on the good, and we'll use that in quotations for now, and, and he sees the good on the evil. Here's a person, they love the Lord, and they're just going through all these crazy tragedies and calamities in their life. I mean, the, this, here's a beautiful you know, family, and look what happens to, to their children. And Solomon's looking at that, and if you've ever found yourself in situations like that, it can get to you. Solomon, man, he started off so well, but then he just got caught up in the ways of the world and all the money and all the things that money can buy and all the women a man would ever want, all the power and all that position. And it just it messed up his relationship with God. You know, he saw this now from a different perspective. He wondered whether the world, or, or maybe even God, was a God of love or hate. He says, since one thing happens to all. And you guys know that, huh? Psalm 73 is a psalm that we talk about frequently, the psalm of Asaph. He said, I, I don't get it. Here I am trying to serve the Lord, and it just doesn't seem like anything's lining up. And there's that guy over there, and they just seem to have everything, and it just seems to go so smoothly for them. And he's, you know, Asaph said, I almost stumbled. I almost fell away until, he says, I went into the sanctuary. And then I understood their end. And that's kind of what we see here with Solomon. He, he says it is an evil under the sun. If that's all life is, is what's under this sun, S-U-N, then yeah, it's weird. It doesn't seem to, you know, make any sense. But we know it's not just under the sun, S-U-N, it's under the sun, S-O-N, that there's so much more to this, that there's an eternity in heaven, that God will reward you for your faith. God will reward you for your sacrifices. God will reward you for your good. God will reward you for your service, for all the things that you give to him with motives that are proper. You know, and, and not only that, not only in heaven, but when you begin to look at things on earth and even the struggles and even the pain and even the hard times, when you begin to look deeper, you realize, man, I needed that. I needed that in my life to keep me in a place that's, that's right, a, a place that would bring, hopefully, glory to God. You know, and, and so Solomon, looking at it from a humanistic perspective, he says, it doesn't make any sense. If there's, a, if there's a God, either he's not all powerful or he's not all loving. I can't tell if it's love or hate. I can't really tell what's going on right here. He sees the suffering of the saints. He sees the blessings on the bad. He sees the hearts of all men. He says right here, they're evil. And some don't even acknowledge God in the least. They live like a beast and then, you know, they get like the best life has to offer. It's madness, you might say. And Solomon says, and then to top it all off, after that, everyone just dies. See, see what happens when you begin to drift away from the Lord? When you live a life of carnality, you will not have the perspective of eternity. And that's where Solomon was. A couple of things to consider here. Number one, you might wonder, why do bad things happen to good people? Okay, i got to tell you guys this, and I hope you don't get mad at me, but there are no good people. 
And there are no good people. No, not one. You might think, well, ah, Manny, you know what I do? I'm sorry. No, not one. And so if you're wondering why bad things happen to good people, there are no good people. And you're thinking, well, I'm better than the murderer. Yes, you probably are. But Jesus said, if you hate someone, you've murdered someone. Jesus said, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. There you are. You've done the sins of, of David. And not only that, you've got to remember, because some people think, well, I'm not that bad of a person. When you sin, you sin against God. Against God. And so why do bad things happen to good people? The better question is why do good things happen to bad people? See, Solomon, he didn't understand that. And so I'm not saying, you know, that all this is easy, but it is important, like, no matter what happens to me in my life, because I know the Bible, I can never say, well, God, how could you let this happen to me? Because I know who I am apart from Christ, and I know what I deserve. And every morning when I get up and I pray and I get on my knees, it never gets old. It never gets routine. Every morning I wake up and I say, God, thank you that I'm not in hell. Thank you, God, that I have so many blessings. Thank you that I get to serve you in the ministry because I am not worthy. None of us are good. So the question is, why do good things Bad things happen to good people. It's not valid according to the scriptures. That's one thing to take into consideration. And then the second thing, of course, to take into consideration is there is more than life under the sun. There is heaven, right? And so you're wondering, why is that guy so rich? Yeah, he's, that's nothing. Don't you know that in heaven, the, the streets, the gold is asphalt. That's, that, the asphalt is gold in heaven. You know, you're like, well, why is, you know, that person such a great basketball player and I'm not? In heaven, you're going to be able to dunk. I mean, I don't know. There's nothing that this world has to offer that you and I will not be able to say that when I get to heaven, won't be infinitely better. And so let's make sure that we have that eternal perspective. Here's Solomon complaining about how it doesn't make any sense but God has a way, we're going to see as we go through our study today, of making perfect sense of everything. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, but, but for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, it's, it's weird. You know, um, Solomon wasn't too clear on the afterlife. He figured it's better to be a living dog dog than a, a dead lion and that's probably true for animals you guys know that right what would you rather it'd be better to be a living dog than a dead lion right and it's true for animals right but it's not true for human beings who are created in the image of god and and, and so you know one one of the things i want to tell you guys make sure you never lose the appreciation for the way that we have the whole Bible. Now, I'm not saying Solomon shouldn't have known. Solomon should have known. The Bible was clear as far as when people passed, they joined their ancestors, that God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Even his father, David, he wrote Psalm 23, that he would dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. And so Solomon should have known that. David, when his son died, remember David? He got up, he you know, dressed up. He went and had his meal, and he said, you know what, even though I wanted my son to live, I'm going to be able to move on because I know I will see my son again. And so there was, that, there was the truth of heaven, but, but it wasn't as clear to them as it was, especially someone like Solomon, who unfortunately was living in carnality. And so, you know, he didn't have the word that speaks to us, but carnality has a way of masking eternity. It was clear, um, but for us, it's perfectly clear. Huh? You know, I'm not afraid to die because I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. He paid the price, nailed to a cross, every single sin I've ever done, past, present, and future, were laid on him. He suffered the punishment that I deserve 
And so when I place my faith in him, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to my account. And one day, not that it's going to go down like this, but one day when I stand before God at heaven's door and they were to say, if they were to say, hey, why should I let you in? Uh, I can't say, well, I was a pastor. You know, Lord, you used to see me pray. I read my Bible. There's nothing, not a single sliver of a work I could say other than I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I never forget the day that I got saved. Just went forward and the Lord came into my life. And that's what happens. You know, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, have you ever given your life to Christ? Have you ever truly surrendered to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And when that happens, it's so cool then we don't have to be afraid to die because we know that one day we'll be in heaven uh, forever. You know, if you want, turn to a couple of passages um, that talk about uh, how so it's so clear for us. In Philippians chapter 1, you know, Solomon is like, wow, you know, it's better to be a, a living uh, lion than a, or a living dog than a dead lion, is it better for you to be here or in heaven? I mean, hey, we got to finish our race, but I tell you what, I am looking forward to heaven. I have to watch what I eat now. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible. I hate it, man. But I got to go home and have a salad and yogurt or something. In heaven, pizza. All the time. <laughs> now, I don't know what it's going to be like in heaven, but I just know the food's going to be good. Look what it says here in Philippians 1. Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in my flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose, I, I cannot tell. He says, If I still live, I can serve the Lord, and I can hopefully make a difference. But as far as whether or not I want to live or die, I still, I'm, I'm kind of torn he says in verse 23, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. Notice here it is, which is far better. It's far better. Far better for who? Far better for Paul. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. You see, for us, it's clear. That's way better. In John chapter 14, if you want to turn there real quick, you guys remember this when Jesus was leaving. And he says in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. In John 14, 1, you believe in God, believe also in me, that in my Father's house are many mansions. Mansions is a pretty cool word, huh? Mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so the Lord is preparing a place for you. And I don't know exactly what that means. Maybe it's your dream house. You've always wanted it, right? The Lord knows exactly what you wanted. I don't know, maybe it's the, the glorified bodies that we're going to receive. That's not even the most important thing. The most important thing is that we will be with Jesus. And one thing I've learned, and I hope that you know, is there's no one like Jesus. Please don't ever esteem men. Jesus is the only good one. He's the only one. That should have our hearts. And so when we're talking about heaven and we're talking about death for the Christian, we're talking about a place that is beautiful, that is wonderful, where we will spend eternity with him. I want to go there, but I got to finish my race, and I want to take as many people with me as I can. When Solomon was looking at it, He's like, man, this, you know, all, they do all this stuff and then they die and, you know, it's a horrible thing and, and, and it's not. Not when you really see the scriptures. Solomon here, back in Ecclesiastes, he was definitely struggling. Look what he says in verse 5. For, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten 
Also, their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. I mean, it's crazy to think that this was the guy that had a heart-to-heart relationship with the Lord, so intimate, so beautiful in the beginning that he just said, Lord, if you can just give me wisdom. You know, and he started off so well. But here he is now just talking about how when you die, you don't even know anything. It's like you're done. And then that's not true. You know, verse 5, he says, For the living know that they will die. Sometimes I wonder, do they? You know, you got these guys doing their thing, doing awful things, awful things. Don't they know that one day they'll die and they'll stand before God? Sometimes, and I know even for me, before I became a Christian, I didn't really think a whole lot about death. Now I do, but it's not that I'm morbid. I just know the reality of it. And I always tell my kids, and I I hope, I don't know, maybe it's a weird thing for a parent, but I just say, hey, you know, good night, Lord willing, I'll see you tomorrow, but remember, every day is a gift. We don't know if we're going to be here tomorrow. Here he says the living know they're going to die. Sometimes I wonder if they even think about it. But it's good to be ready to die because it's only then when you're ready to live. He says here, Solomon says, and I wonder if they ever think about it. But as far as the dead, he says they know nothing. And that's not true. You guys know that. That's not true. So it gives us an opportunity to talk about it. When someone dies, do they know stuff? Oh, yeah, they know everything. You read Luke chapter 16 and the rich man who was cast into hell. He had five senses. He could see, he could hear, he could feel because he felt the flame. I mean, he could taste even. He said, if you could only send Lazarus over and put a drop of water and put it on my tongue because I'm burning in these flames. He remembered his brother's. He says, hey, if you could send you know, Lazarus to go and tell him about this place because I don't want them to come here. And him and Abraham, they're having this conversation. It can't happen. There's a gulf between us. And if they don't believe the Bible, they won't even believe if someone comes back and they're raised from the dead. That's how important the Bible is. And so, you know, the, the, the living, do they know they're going to die? Sometimes you wonder. But those who are dead, they, they, they know He says, the dead know nothing. Yes, they do. We will know a lot after we die. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. We will know just as we are known. So, you know, for us, it's an opportunity to talk about these things. You know, he says right here again, look at verse 5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. Is that true? No. I mean, talk about rewards. You guys that serve the Lord with proper motives. You guys that are doing this unto the Lord. You guys that that love Jesus and you love people, don't you know that the rewards are just being laid up in heaven? I mean, you could spend your money on a lot of other things, but you decided to give it to God? Jesus said, you're laying up treasures in heaven where moth or rust or thieves, no one's going to take it away. So, you know, look at these passages. If you would go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, In verse 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Look, if you would, at 2 John chapter 1, verse 8. John says, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full 
reward. And then if you go to Revelation chapter 22, in verse 12, look what Jesus says. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And so I don't know about you, but I really believe that we are living in the last of the last days. We're on just the brink of Jesus' return. And so whatever you do, don't believe the lie that says you won't be rewarded, that there's nothing after death. Oh, man, that's when it's going to begin. The crowns, you know, the rewards. And we don't know exactly what they are, what they consist of. But I do know that it will bring God glory and it will be probably even, you know, more work to do during the millennial kingdom and into eternity. And so there is reward in heaven. And, and you know, Solomon is saying that when you die, look again at verse 5, uh, no one remembers you. The memory of them is forgotten. And that's not true. Of course, we know. And verse 6, their love, their hatred, their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they share in anything done under the sun. And, and, and all I know is this, that you guys, as we're serving the Lord now, it will impact earth. It will impact those that follow, your family members, and who knows what God's going to do as a result of you being faithful now. You know, and it can be an impact that people have for good, it can be an impact that people have for bad. Even though someone dies, it doesn't mean that they're no longer influencing the world. You have people like Charles Darwin still influencing the world. Karl Marx still influencing the world. You know, it's interesting. He mentions hatred right here. You know, that, that after you die, you know, their, their hatred is gone. But, but the effects of, the ripple effects of someone like, like Hitler... Or the, or the envy, it doesn't influence anyone, but then you think of someone like Saul and what an impact it made, or even the religious leaders that crucified Jesus. But then it's interesting, he uses the word love. Look again at, at verse 6. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. And I think of the love of Jesus Christ and how it continues to impact the world today. And so for us, um, I pray that we would look forward to heaven. You guys excited about heaven? Amen. All right. I also want to do my best to make a difference for good on earth, prayerfully. And I've got to be honest, I am blessed with the life that God's given to me. Look at verse 7. Solomon says, go, eat your bread with joy, amen. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white, and let your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love. And we'll pause there if it's okay. You know, and, and again, I don't know if Solomon was being sincere or sarcastic, but either way, I'm going to take it as a gift from God graciously, how he gives us the ability to, um, to go and to eat bread and break bread together with our family and friends. And how many of you would attest to the fact that that is one of the most joyful experiences that we have in life, huh? Honestly, I mean, I think of a lot of cool things, you know, that we can go and we can do. But I love just being around the table with my family and just breaking bread together and talking with them. And that's what Solomon says. He says, go and eat your bread. You know, he says to drink your wine. And for us, we have other options. We don't need wine to make us happy. I think when you read the New Testament, Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine in which is a wasted life, but be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We don't need wine to make us happy. But the whole concept of just being there with the food and the family and the fellowship, he's saying that that's what you should enjoy it. It's okay. I got to be honest, every once in a while, I, get, I feel a little guilty. You know, I'm like, man, Lord, this, I'm, this feast. You know, I'll go over to some of my friend's house and the food that they make, and I almost feel a little guilty. And God's like, don't. You know, just grub and, you know, pay for it later. You know, <laughs> exercise or whatever. Try to work it off. But... 
you know, um, the Lord is saying, enjoy it, you guys. Soak it in. Because that's a gift from who? God. How many of you guys like bread? I'm just curious. Isn't it good? It's too good. And all of a sudden, you found out it's not good for you. We used to like the fat on the meat. You guys remember those days? <laughs> so... I don't know, things are different now, um, but I pray that we would laugh, that we would fellowship, we would have fun, we would, uh, one person said, have a blast while you last, and, you know, even celebrate the fact, look what he says there in verse 7, that, that, that for God has already accepted your works. And I thought that was an interesting verse, you know, because you can, you can enjoy that, you know, like God you know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, for you have been saved by grace through faith, and that's not of yourself, and the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast, but we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All the works preordained before the foundation of the world. As we do these things unto the Lord, and they're accepted. Not only that, are they accepted, you're accepted. Think about that. You know, you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, man, I am all messed up. We know who we are apart from Christ. I hate who I am apart from Christ, honestly. I know the inclinations of my flesh. I know the ugly things that lie within me. But that, that's not really me anymore because God's creating a new man. You know, but, but when you look at these things and, and you realize, but I'm accepted. I'm accepted. We talk a lot about accepting the Lord, and it's true. You know, we need to accept the Lord as Jesus, as our Lord and Savior. But the, the better way, I think, to look at it is when you place your faith in him, he accepts you. And that's what he says right there. Rejoice in the fact that you're accepted. And the Bible explicitly says that in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. And so it's not based on my righteousness or works or behavior. It's based on his blood. And so it's, it's cool. Um, look at verse 8. He says right here, let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. You know, and basically what is he saying is you're, you enjoy life, you know, um, wash your clothes. <laughs> what is he basically saying? He's kind of saying it's okay to dress nice, okay? For you uh, guys, um, uh, it's okay. For you girls, um, you don't have to dress seductively, but it's okay to dress attractively for your husband. You know, and that works both ways. So sometimes you get a little clothes and you just feel comfortable in this. I'm good with this. You don't have to wear a dirty white t-shirt with holes in it. And the jeans and the, and the holes in the jeans are good now, huh? That's what I understand. That's fashionable. But, you know, he's actually saying, like, you know, have food and fellowship and fun. Enjoy the blessings of life. It's okay to dress uh, nice and neat and um, maybe even put some oil on, some cologne for you guys, some perfume for you gals. I remember a long time ago when I read this verse about the oil, um, I, 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 from that point on, I just said, you know what, I'm going to wear cologne every day. You know, every day is a gift and try to smell good, you know, for my wife or whatever. That, that's kind of what he's saying right here. You know, that the oil, maybe it's gel for your hair. I don't think so. But I think it's cologne uh, for your, your clothes. And then to live joyfully with the wife whom you love. And that's so cool. You know, when you guys enjoy each other, and I've told you guys before about my wife, I'm super blessed that she is fun and she is funny. She makes me laugh. She's weird. No, I'm just joking. She, she's beautiful. I love her so much. And you know, God has given me grace and that she loves me and we're growing together. And that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do with your spouse. No, it's going good, but then right here, Solomon ruins it. Look at verse 9. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun. There you might want to underline that again. All your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life, 
and in the labor which you perform under the sun. And so, you know, again, the days of your vain life that he, God, has given you. And this is interesting. You know, when you're looking at it, it is just under the sun, and this is like the best life has to offer, then we can see the struggle that Solomon has. But you have to look at things through eternity. You know, he says in verse 9 that this is your portion in life. And apparently Solomon wasn't living his life appropriately. Uh, we all have portions allotted to us, but the most important portion of our life as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is the truth that God is our portion. Ultimately, God is. You might remember in the Old Testament how the priests didn't have an inheritance of land. The Bible says in Numbers 18.20 that the Lord was their portion. It says the same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 9. Whether it's the high priest or whether it's the priests of uh, the Levites, God said to them, your portion is God. The Lord is your inheritance. And I tell you what, that's, that's the best thing. I mean, you think about it, you have God. You know, for us in the New Testament, um, we're priests. That's what the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, verse 5, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, multiple times in the book of Revelation, for example, Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, it says that we're priests. So when you read the Old Testament, the priest's portion was God, and that's our portion as well. You know, praise God, if you, if you have a spouse, um, maybe you don't, but you have God. You know, you have the food, maybe you don't, but it's okay because you have God. And, I, and last time I checked, God was enough. He is enough. And that's, you just have to really draw near to him. See, we are to live life with this heart with this unction, with this function. Look at verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. And again, this guy, huh, Solomon. You know, we're learning how people will see life when they're half-hearted. This, he's a believer, but... And we're going to see later, he kind of redeems himself. And he says, at the end of the day, here's the conclusion. You know, fear God. Earlier in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 11, he said that God has placed eternity in their hearts. And so he's just kind of like confused. No, for us, it's solid. It's solid. We know in whom we have believed. So here he goes back and forth again. Whatever you do, do it with all your might. Live life to the hilt. It is good counsel. Whatever you do, um, do it unto the Lord, the Bible says. Whatever it is, you're painting a wall, you're cleaning uh, the toilet, whatever it is, you do it the best that you can with all your might. No half-hearted jobs. Sometimes you hear uh, people and they testify, yeah, whatever I do, I, I do it like full bore, like I'm all in. We should all be that way. Not just Kobe Bryant, but we should all be that way. Whatever we do, we do it unto the Lord. We do it with excellence. We do it with all our mind. Jim Elliott, the missionary who was killed in the jungles of Ecuador, such a great man of God. He said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. And so here... Solomon, he does say that whatever you do, you do it with all your might. But again, his heart comes out that he's unclear about life after death. You know, in verse 11, he says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For men also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. You know, and, and you look, and yeah, to be honest, 
you know, we know of situations. She was shot at a party. This guy was on the side of the road. He's changing his tire. He gets hit, you know, and where this guy's driving his car and he's just right into a tree and he dies, you know. I have family members that, that died young. And, you know, you look at it all and if you're just looking at it from a humanistic perspective, you take God out of the equation, it, none of it makes sense. And, you know, Solomon's probably thinking, well, I'm being super smart here and I got to tell you guys what's going on. But, but for us, we know that God doesn't allow anything to touch us unless it's filtered through his sovereign hands. And we know that he will not allow anything to come our way unless it's good for us, unless there's a purpose for the pain. And so for us, it's completely different. Nothing's random. And, and so you know, Solomon here, unfortunately, he just got too smart. You know in the Bible how it talks about how it says sometimes professing to be wise, they became what? Fools. No, I'm going to interpret all the things that happened to me. I'm not saying I understand everything, but I know that he loves me. And I know that he's sovereign. So I will trust him. Now, right here, he's pessimistic. He attributes everything to random chance. He seems to say that things don't happen sovereignly, just suddenly, randomly. Undetermined is the day of our death and all our days in between. You know, like you think of a fish, you go fishing and, you know, it just gets caught one day, you know, or like a, a bird in a trap. And again, it might be true for animals, but it's not true for us. You know, he's saying right here that the race is not for the swift. Listen, for us, we all have personal races to run. Even that's not random. We have unique battles to fight, because he's talking about, you know, the, the battle's not really for the strong. You know, we, we have uh, the food and finances that are allotted to us according to God's will. We are favored by faith. It's not got nothing to do with luck or chance, because we're his church. And what the enemy intends for evil, God will use for good. Remember that in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20? We learned that lesson uh, through the life of Joseph. And we're not like a fish getting caught one day. You know, we're invincible until the Lord says, okay, it's time to go home. You know, and all of you guys that are here, you know, praise God that you came on a midweek service. You might not be here next week. I might not be here next week. And if that happens, and you know the Lord, praise God. I like the way that one person said there, there was a time, and this was a long time ago, it's not true today, but uh, some of these denominations, the Methodist denomination in particular, in funerals, it was just all upbeat. They were celebrating. Why? Because this person is in glory. For us, usually it's somber. Nowadays, and we try to be respectful, and I understand that. But, you know, looking at this, uh, now we got to see God has determined the day, and for us, it's important to know. And, and none of us knows, you know, how long that we have. Um, I remember hearing one story about uh, uh, a little boy that was sitting in service, kind of like how we have some young people here today. And the pastor was saying that, you know, none of us knows the day we're going to die, and we go from dust to dust and you start in dust and God made you and then you end in dust and so the little boy was afterwards talking to his dad he said dad you know I got someone under my bed a lot of dust and I don't know if they're coming or going dad <laughs> <laughs> you know we don't know all I know is that we have only one life soon it will pass only what's done for Christ will last doesn't mean that everything you do has to be like religious. Sometimes I'll watch a, a movie with my kids because I want to be with them. You know, uh, maybe it's not like this explicitly Christian movie, but I just like being together with them. So, you know, I encourage you to fill your days with the things that God has called you uh, to do. I remember a long time ago, I read a poem and I kind of modified it a little bit. I want to read it to you. It's called The Dash. 
It says, there was a man who stood to speak. It was the funeral of a friend. He read the dates on the brochure, the beginning to the end. He spoke the first, the date of birth, the latter date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that small dash represents the time alive on earth. And now all who love the friend knew what that little line was worth. For it matters not the stuff we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What counts is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? Whatever time we have left, it can be rearranged. If only we'd be spirit-led, walk humbly even more, and love the Lord with all our hearts like we've never loved before. If we cheat each other with respect and often wear a smile, it bears the wisdom that the dash only lasts a while. So when that eulogy is read, your life's actions to rehash. Do your best to make the best of how you lived that dash. I told my wife, you have to read that at my funeral. No, I'm just joking. Look at verse 13. We close with this. It says, This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it. He surrounded it, built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. And then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. You might remember that Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature. And as you go through it, even through the way that we're maneuvering through it the, you know, tonight, you're going to come out wiser. You will. And so here you read about the poor wise man who saved the city. And so it's interesting. He said, you know, they were surrounded by all these soldiers and this, this wise man, he had, you know, great words maybe, great strategy. And, and somehow he was able to deliver the, the city. And he's their hero. But they won't hear their hero. Why? Because wisdom isn't that important to people. You know, you go on, you know, Instagram or whatever, the, the things today, and they just want guys with a bunch of muscles, bunch of money, bunch of fame, whatever the, the elevation is. And, and what he's saying right here is better to be wise than, than it is uh, to be strong. Wisdom doesn't have the same appeal, right? I mean, the good looks are, are more, uh, unfortunately, appreciated nowadays. The standards of the world Oh, him, he's just a wise guy. Listen, you and I as Christians, we know better, right? But people who don't know the Lord, they don't really realize the value of wisdom and really the wisdom of God's word. They, they don't understand it out there in the world. They say, hey, go to Stanford, go to Harvard, go to one of these Ivy League schools, get this great you know, job, get a big house or whatever, and you can have all that, but you might lack wisdom. And then you got this other guy over here, he's living a normal life, Beautiful family. Why? Because he has wisdom, especially the wisdom of God's word. You know, Psalm 19.10, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. You're going to want to desire this wisdom of God's word. You should even love it. It says in Psalm 119.127, Therefore I love your commandments more than gold. Yes, than fine gold. And so, I don't know, I have to be careful, you know, you guys coming on a midweek service, some of you guys are actually here because you want to be here, because you want to learn the word, and you want to learn how to live the word. 
and you want the word of God to be planted in your heart, and you will go out and you will make a difference in your family, your life, it'll change. Praise God for that. But most people don't. Most people don't. They don't really want it. I thank God for the Bible. I really do. In verse 17, he says it's, it's, it's better to just have substance than volume. <laughs> Some people think that if they yell um, that they're going to be a better speaker, but that's what he says right here, that content is, is better than you know, communicating in some you know, substantial style. Verse 18, he says, Wisdom is way better than weapons of war. With it, we can save a, a country from war. We can save a city. We can even save a family. Think about that. What happened in that family? Oh, they lacked wisdom. You know, it's interesting what he says, and we close in verse 18. Again, he says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. One sinner. Think about that. You know, and not to put anybody on a guilt trip or anything, but um, Achan was one man that affected the whole congregation because he was living in secret sin. You know, you think of that. And what that makes me do is say, hey, I don't want to mess things up. I want to get my life right with God. You know, one sinner. You think of Achan. You think of Adam who brought sin into the world. But it's so cool to know that when you read Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians uh, 15, it says that through Adam, sin entered the world, but through Jesus, one Savior, all our sins are washed away. I think that's a good way to end it. One sinner, and you might be here, you might be watching, and you're not yet a Christian and, and you're messing everything up for your family. My encouragement to you is to know that there's a Savior. His name is Jesus. He loves you. He died on the cross. He rose again. And if you want a new start in life, if you want a new heart, if you want power, if you want freedom, if you want forgiveness, if you want life, if you want heaven, you can accept him today as your Lord and Savior. You can just ask him Pray that you would. If I've not already done that. And if maybe you're here and you drifted away, I might pray that today you'd return wholeheartedly.